Welcome to Dose of Support. We are an interdisciplinary show that highlights healthcare workers. We share stories and self-care in healthcare every week. I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner and a healthcare worker just like you. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider. Our guests are not your healthcare provider, and we're not giving healthcare advice here. Seek out care from your own healthcare provider. This podcast, host, guests, and associated social media platforms are not representing an employer or organization. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. Well, hello, dosies. Welcome back to the huddle. I am huddling up today and really excited because next week, next week is episode 550, the big times. And you know, you have to mark these milestones somehow, right? And I want to, I, it hasn't been recorded yet, but I'm going to be convincing my respiratory therapist of a husband to come on the show. Um, <laughs> and so you're in for a treat. Please tune in. Um, and in the meantime, I've I am going to reflect on lessons learned because it's been almost a year that we've been we've been together. Um I I'm so grateful and and we'll get into that more, but I wanted you guys to know how much the show has helped me. Tonight I had a nice hot shower and then played around with some tarot cards for like the first time and had some dark chocolate and a glass of wine. And after I'm done recording this, I'm heading over to do some candlelit yoga. And I'm really walking the self-care walk. And I really can't say that I was consciously doing this a year ago. And so I don't know if I feel disingenuous by not practicing what I preach on here. Not that I'm preachy. I try not to be. But it's really important to me that I try the things that our guests all suggest and that I try to fit things into my life and see how it works. Because the conversation around that is so important because self-care really can be for everyone and it's really like how you make it work for you. And I'm I'm on that journey. I've said that before, but I just wanted to let you know that like today I'm walking the walk. And you know who else walks that walk? Maybe she more sings it. She's a, a little bit more of a karaoke version of that is Stephanie, our guest this week. She's a registered dietitian and she's about to be coming at you with a story. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Dose of Support. Today, sharing her registered dietitian work in hospital nutrition and dietetics. All the way from Brooklyn, New York, is Stephanie Schwartz. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks for being here. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. We have interviewed dietitians before, but lots of different types of dietitians, right? So you work in a hospital. Can you yes. tell us what 
What is a day in the life as Stephanie Schwartz like? Oh, that is a very good question. So, you know, in thinking about uh, doing this podcast and talking to you about what inpatient dietitians do, I actually practice my answer multiple times because I think it's so hard to concisely describe everything we do, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Unfortunately, <laughs> dietitians have this perception that we're the food police, right? But I would just say in the hospital, we're more so the malnutrition police. So every patient mm. that we see, we're either trying to prevent them from developing malnutrition while they're admitted, or we're treating existing malnutrition. And in doing that, we're making sure that the nutrition interventions they receive, which we refer to as medical nutrition therapy, is appropriate for their care. You know, we take into account their past medical history, what they're in the hospital for, their age, just what's going on with them in general, their labs, medications, the whole whole picture. We're very much trained to kind of synthesize all of that into our nutrition interventions. And that can range from recommending a PO diet. I should specify PO by mouth, so just regular food. It can be recommending supplements like Boost, Ensure, and it can also in the more complex cases that we might see in the ICU, surgery settings, oncology settings, burn units. It can include recommending feeding patients by tube or recommending IV feedings or total parenteral nutrition, TPN, as we refer to it as. And those cases of tube feeding and TPN are definitely a lot more complex and a bit more risky. So we're very much involved in the management of that with the interdisciplinary team. And that's part of what I like about my job and my day to day is that I'll go from one patient talking about just normal, regular food. And then the next patient, I'm kind of more in the nitty gritty of recommending two feedings or to start TPN on them. I've yeah. worked with dietitians that don't put in feeding tubes. And then I've worked with dietitians that do put in feeding tubes. And since you mentioned that, is that part of your job too? Like clinical skills like that? No, it is not. And I would love for it to be. I would love to have kind of more of a hands-on skill like that. Mm -hmm. I think in New York State, generally, dietitians don't put in feeding tubes. Yeah. It's been so different wherever I've worked. So what's the best part about the job that you do? One is that I love contributing to an interdisciplinary team. I think, you know, it's so cool that we have this knowledge of how to recommend diets and tube feedings and TPN that no other field is specially trained in like we are, and that we're really the ones who are looking out for a patient's nutrition. I mean, everyone else has a million other things to do. So I love that like I get to be the person that looks out for whether a patient is eating or not specifically, because I think food is really a way that we show we care about people. So I love that that's how I show that I care about my patients. Isn't that funny how like it's it's like woven into culture and religion and family time and holidays, just everything. Food is in everything. Exactly. And, you know, when you're admitted to the hospital, that's something you kind of lose control over a little bit. So, you know, it's sort of a joke in our profession. Sometimes we don't like when patients complain to us about the hospital food because we don't make it. But 
at the same time, I so understand where the patient is coming from that they've just lost control over their entire life. And then their lunch tray shows up and it's not the thing they wanted. And it just adds on to all the emotional stress that they're under. Yeah. And when you're sick, you want comfort food, or maybe you don't want any food at all. And that's part of what you were saying with malnutrition. But I just know like a chicken noodle soup or, you know, a grilled cheese sandwich or something like that. I I think we all have our go-to thing when we're not feeling well. And I I would hate to not be able to have that at my disposal to help me feel better. Exactly. Okay. What was the second thing? So the second thing I love getting to do is just make patients feel better about food. A big part of our job I didn't mention before is also we do diet educations for patients. And obviously in the hospital, it's not the ideal setting for a diet education when you're not feeling well, you, there might be a million things going on. But a lot of times where I am, it I'm the only dietitian my patient might ever meet. So a lot of times they have a lot of misconceptions about nutrition for their illness, especially I see this with patients with diabetes who think they can't have any carbohydrates. And I get to be the first person to tell them, yes. actually, potatoes are fine. Eat your potatoes. Uh, especially when I get patients with new onset diabetes or heart failure, I'm usually the first person that they talk to about their diet. And it's a great opportunity to just make them feel better and at least get them started. And hopefully they have outpatient follow-up to continue their work. Carbs have been given such a bad rap. Like, Haven't they? It's most bad. It's so sad. I, I love carbs. Me too. And it is definitely, it breaks my heart when I hear patients say things like, oh, I haven't eaten a banana in years because I saw on the internet or so-and-so told me. And just to think that like this perfectly wholesome food, they've spent all this energy avoiding. I hate it. Yeah. Well, speaking of hate, what's the worst part of being a dietitian? I don't want to call it the worst part, but it's definitely a challenge is that, like I said before, everyone in the hospital has a million other things to do. We're all running around with our heads cut off. I think that's the expression. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be really hard to get nutrition notice to really advocate for it when, especially in complex patients where there's a lot of other issues going on. Sometimes nutrition is just not at the forefront. It really takes a lot of finessing to make the team realize what we need to do for the patient. This is especially in cases where maybe tube feeding or TPN might be needed, but the team's resistant for a number of reasons. So that element of it, it can be frustrating, but it's also very motivating to me every day that it's an opportunity to show everyone I work with the importance of nutrition. I actually work at a teaching hospital, so I really like the idea that we can, you know, shape this next generation of doctors to really care about nutrition and know the importance of it as they go into their careers. Yeah, you know, I I've said this before, but nurses get a little bit of nutrition, you know, like an undergraduate or a graduate nutrition course. Um, And I think that physicians and PAs and um, I think respiratory and obviously speech therapy, um, I'm trying to think like everyone gets like a little a little sprinkle of nutrition in their education, but it's never enough. I, I think it's lacking across the board. Yeah. So actually, when I was in graduate school, I TA'd the nutrition class that all of the nursing students took. 
And it was very basic level. Like this is a carb, this is protein, this is fat. I wish that they had the chance to take the next course in the progression, which would actually introduce more medical nutrition therapy and the diets you see in the hospital a little bit more. So you love your job. Things can be frustrating sometimes. And we all have aspects of our jobs that we hate. And I think the challenge, sometimes the challenges are what make it fun. Yeah. Um, And even if it's not like a happy situation, which we're going to get into right after Mm -hmm. the break. So everyone stay tuned. from the break and Stephanie Schwartz, our Brooklyn, New York dietitian, is here to share a story. Stephanie, take it away. Last fall, we had a patient admitted to my unit. Uh, One of the units I work on in my hospital is the inpatient oncology unit. So unfortunately, when patients are admitted there, oftentimes it's because they're not in very good shape. So this patient was admitted last fall. He was a young man and had very advanced gastric cancer, so cancer of the stomach. And the reason he was admitted was because he was vomiting up everything that he ate because of his cancer. He couldn't tolerate any food. And he was skin and bones, very cachectic, lost a lot of weight. So because he couldn't eat anything and he was very malnourished, I recommended starting TPN for him. As I mentioned earlier, TPN, total parental nutrition, sets nutrition you give through uh, an IV, but not just an IV. You have to have a central line placed, which can be a little bit risky. It can present an infection risk. So after I recommended this, I got some pushback from the medical team that they wanted to figure out the patient's goals of care first because his prognosis was very poor, but he was still full code. He was still trying to pursue treatment. So I thought it was appropriate to recommend this more aggressive nutrition intervention. So every couple of days I would do my follow-up on him and I would nudge the doctors, can we start some sort of nutrition on him? And I kind of got the same pushback. And essentially a month went by that he was in the hospital and received pretty much no nutrition other than some IV fluids and some clear liquids here and there. I'm like really mad. I'm really mad right now. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me finish because I don't want to seem like I'm putting blame on anyone or make this a (laughs) one-side story because actually it's pretty, it's a pretty complex one, but yeah, I was at the the time too. Okay. Okay. Good. I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, this is not a happy ending. He eventually was discharged to hospice care, and I presume he passed away shortly thereafter. Uh, before he was discharged, we were able to advance his diet a little bit to liquids. We were able to get him some ice cream at least. But the reason that I think about this case all the time is because I, you know, always question you know, was I, was I right to be pushing so hard for this really invasive form of nutrition when his life expectancy wasn't very long? It would not have really prolonged his life. But on the flip side, 
it could have made his quality of life a little better, could have given him some more energy and improved his functional status. But, you know, we don't know. Nutrition at end of life is a very complex thing. And I don't think there's any one right answer in this case. Yeah, that's true. It's so weird to think about. We we actually see what, like 1%? of the sickest people when when they come to the hospital it's not like everyone is like this it's like we just see the rarer cases in healthcare you know what i mean yeah and and so this stuff isn't sometimes i as a former icu nurse i think you know this isn't normal these these folks in the icu is they're like 1% of the population that gets sick you know right. such a small like when you look at the big picture. And so maybe what he went through was really normal. Um, it just looked a little different for him than it did for the next person. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so speaking of like remembering this um, and having to cope with this and having the whole team kind of, it sounds like everyone really struggled with this case. Yeah, it was definitely hard on everyone, not just me, but the Mm. nurses, the doctors, everyone involved. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you as a dietitian that sees stuff like this, um, you never want someone to go hungry. You never want someone to suffer from malnutrition. How do you cope when you see so much of that? Right. And I mean, that's kind of what we we're saying before about how like we care about people with food, you know, in these really tough cases like advanced cancer or some advanced um, dementia cases I see where patients can't eat. It's really hard to accept that both, you know, for me as the clinician and also for these patients' loved ones, it can be really hard to see that. I think, um, you know, kind of actually one thing that helps is having a knowledge of how the human body works Mm -hmm. and the role that nutrition does play at end of life and knowing that in some cases, actually withholding nutrition can be the right thing to do for the patient. It can actually make them more comfortable. With my particular case I talked about, I'm not, I'm still not sure if that was the right thing to do, and that's why I struggle with it so much. Isn't that interesting, though? I think we all make those choices. Yeah. Anyone that's listening, maybe maybe there's a pharmacist listening or another nurse, and I, I know I have had situations where I'm like, should I have done something else? And really there is some level of acceptance that you did the best that you could with the information that you had and with the resources you had. And sometimes it feels like that's not good enough, but like it is what it is. And there is a level of acceptance that I've had to practice with that. Um, It sounds like you have a little bit of that too. Do you have any like self-care that you work into your life so that you can unplug from the work that you do? Yeah. You know, it's funny as a dietitian, I feel like I should be talking about, you know, cooking or working out or something, but mine is completely different for me. I think one thing that's been really important, especially since COVID hit and things became even more kind of um, heavy at work is just really reminding myself of my identity outside of my job uh, and really just being able to tap into those other elements of me. So you know, for me, I actually, I'm a huge musical theater fan. Oh my gosh. Theater has been a really important part of my life since I was younger. And I actually worked in the theater business before 
becoming a dietitian. So, you know, pre-COVID, I loved the escape of going into a theater and the lights going down and just leaving the rest of the world behind. Unfortunately, that's not been something I've been able to do since the pandemic hit. But one of my favorite things to do after work is just to go for a walk and listen to one of my favorite cast recordings and just kind of like not fully close my eyes because I would walk into something, but, you know, kind of go introspective and remember what it was like to be in that theater and experience that moment and remember the things that I learned from that story and those characters. Oh my gosh. You are going to be Stephanie, the singing dietitian. Oh my, you don't want to actually hear me sing. There there is a show here. Like I can just, I can just see it now where like, it's like Hamilton, only like you're Hamilton and the rest of us, (laughs) the rest of us are like, you know, like I'll be Aaron Burr. And then, you know, you know, like we'll all have our own. I want you to shoot me though. Well, that's true. Do you want to be a Skylar sister? Okay, I'll do it. So yeah, so like theater is a whole world and musicals and just like, I I do miss going out and doing things like that. Um, Yeah. Thank goodness for Disney Plus, right? Oh, yes. um, (laughs) The soundtracks for a lot of these are so fun to just like you you kind of step into that world. I hear what you're saying. And and wait a second, karaoke? Like is that oh, a regular I love karaoke. Really? Is that a regular thing? Well, you, like pandemic it pre-pand- was. Okay. I hope to once again make it a regular thing. So, I have a group of friends we'll do karaoke we'll do musical theater karaoke together. Oh um like God. in the box style. Oh my god, I love it. So what what's your best song? My best song is, um, this is like a really deep cut for musical theater. It's I'm Still Here from Stephen Sondheim's um, Follies, which is a 1972 musical. I was going to say, um, like, have not seen that. And I've seen a yeah. lot of musicals. Um, it's a fun one to act out. But uh, I do also do uh, non-musical theater karaoke. And I love doing uh, Natalie and Brulia's Torn. That really brings a room together. And mm. um, Love Fool. Okay. By uh, the Cardigans. Wait, the Cranberries or the Cardigans? I always mix them up. Cardigans. Yeah, I don't think it's the Cranberries. But um, yeah, it's Cardigans. Okay. So, like, what else do you do? Because it's not like you can't really go to the theater right now. And yeah. so, just listening to soundtracks or watching the movie, I'm guessing, really isn't enough. At least it wouldn't be for me. So, is there anything else on your plate that you like? Well, I do want to say, too, that, you know, for me, my kind of self-care is happening to musical theater, but for the next person, it might just be connecting with a store, a story, a movie, a TV show that you really love. So I describe how it looks for me, but I feel like it can take form for so many other people. Um, so I will say too, also, you know, like I said, my overarching self-care is, you know, tapping into my identity outside of work and just connecting with other friends and family and uh, people who um, well, I don't want to say people not associated with my work because my coworkers are some of my best friends, but just reminding myself of, you know, the relationships I have outside of my job as well. So how do you do that? Because what I have found is a lot of healthcare workers hang out with other healthcare workers. Yeah. And it's, it kind of perpetuates like a bitch fest or, a, you know, people then then you're like still at work in a way. So, yeah. So how do you do that? I guess, I guess one thing I'll say about my dietitian life is that 
Uh, I guess we, we also haven't mentioned my meme account um, on this episode yet, but I do run a meme account called That Dietitian Life, where I chronicle all things pertaining to life as a dietitian. Um, and I guess one thing I'll say too, is that I do have like my dietitian life that's like in the hospital and with my patients. And then my dietitian life is also just like connecting with people in the profession. And I have a lot of friends who are not in clinical and I'll talk to them about other elements of our profession that don't have to do with my job. So that's one thing that's so cool about our profession is that, you know, there's people working in so many different areas and I can, you know, explore my love of nutrition outside of my job too, by connecting with my friends and my Instagram followers. You know, that is really important. I, I know a lot of people say like, you are not what you do, but I have not felt that way. I, I think people are like, you have to leave your identity at work or, but like, I felt called as a young child to be a nurse. Like I, I felt, mm-hmm. I felt like I was supposed to do this and I don't understand how even before I was a nurse, I'm supposed to like completely disconnect from that. Like it's all intertwined in who I am yeah, and it and really, I-, I think makes it, I think you're putting extra pressure on yourself if you're trying, not you, but like people, if, if you're trying to, if you're trying to disconnect your professional life from your personal life, I, I think you're putting extra stress on yourself because you can't, you can't just do that. I like what you're saying about living that dietitian life at work and at home just differently. Yeah. And I think the things that, and part of the reason I talked about, you know, forming your identity outside of work because then that affects what you bring back into work the next day and how you interface with your coworkers, with everyone on the team and with your patients. So, you know, I think you have to, you know, don't leave your job at home, but also don't maybe also be your job at home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, there's kind of this balance to find to really care for yourself and then in turn care for others. And so you find that balance by just connecting with people that are kind of outside of your job, but that are in similar areas or like forming relationships. That's where the hard things are. Like how it's the how, and that's why we have this self-care discussion, right? Because I think if we all had it figured out, there would be no burnout. There would be no, you know, so how do you do that? How do you cultivate that? Well, I, I very much advocate for starting a meme account and just posting <laughs> memes every day. Um, but no, actually, I mean, I think um, well, a couple things. One is that I, you know, still am friends with people I did my dietitian training with and people that I went to school with, and I try to keep up with those connections. I also joined my local dietetic association. I'm on the board for that. I'm actually going to be taking on a bigger position next year with it. So I'll get to connect with more people. And of course, I try to go to as many of those events as possible, both um, back when we did in person and virtually. And also social media. I mean, social media does get a bad rep a lot of the time and Mm -hmm. it can lead to a lot of negative self-care. But if you use it the right way, it actually can lead to a lot of good connections. Like all the people I've connected with from my Instagram account or back when COVID hit in March, there was a Facebook group that popped up of people doing critical care nutrition. And there were just so many helpful resources. Everyone was answering questions for each other. As terrible as things were, it was so great to just have support from my fellow dietitians. 
It's been incredible, the community that during COVID has just come together online and provided this dose of support. Like yeah. I, I have also felt that from starting dose of support by connecting and networking with people that like I'm being creative, I'm finding a community and it's giving me the support I didn't know I needed, you know, like yeah. it's been this gift that keeps on giving. So I, I can totally see what you're saying there that like you're still advancing your work and your passions and it's still related to like what you do at the hospital, but you're growing and you're expanding when you feel like you can be creative and funny and like with a meme account, like that's where, that's where some joy comes back into the work. Yeah. Even though you see hard things and do hard things like that's in every job. Um, right. I love it. So Stephanie, how do people find you if they want to look at all these memes and <laughs> enjoy <Yeah>. them? <laughs> you can follow me at that dietitian life or, um, or if you want to drop me an email, you can email me at that dietitian life at gmail.com. Well, thank you so much for explaining what you do at work and sharing that really, it sounds like a hard story, but I really enjoyed our conversation today about getting striking this balance. Definitely. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Listeners, I'll be back in your ears next week. You can extend a dose of support even further by visiting us on Facebook, Instagram, on our website, or by giving us a rating or review. You can always support the show monetarily on patreon.com slash dose of support. Dose of Support is written, organized, emails, edited, produced, published, all the things by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by John Schreier. I'm punching out this week but I will be back in your ears next week for another Dose of Support.